This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Thanks for listening in today. I'm Joel Hilliker. My family recently went on vacation and we were staying at a lovely condo uh, on the beach. Uh, We had a nice little balcony that was overlooking the beach and we had a view of the trees. It was just a a really uh, nice setting, very refreshing to help clear the mind. And I was reading the perfect book for this trip, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. The subtitle of this book is Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think Deeply Again. The inside flap says this, our ability to pay attention is collapsing. In the United States, teenagers can focus on one task for only 65 seconds at a time and office workers average only three minutes. This book talks about 12 causes for this attention crisis, the technology, the volume of information that is coming at us, all the switching and distractions, the fact that we're so sleep deprived, our bad food, pollutants, drugs, lots of different causes. In many ways, our modern world is set up to keep us wired and in poor health with foggy minds, distracted and worn out. Now, this is really the way that the devil wants it. This is the way that he has set this up. Looking at everything that was discussed in this book, it reminded me of an article that I read years ago called How to Organize Your Life God's Way. This was from a leadership training series in the Worldwide Church of God. And this article, I went back and looked at it. It says, in this lawless, perverse, pleasure-mad society in which we are living, all of us as God's people must constantly grapple with the challenge of staying close to God in spite of the world around us. Satan is the God of this world, and he has arrayed the entire society against us to distract us and snare us as we seek to draw near to God and serve him. Satan is the world's greatest time waster, and he has designed this society and this world to waste your time and your life. The life that God gives us is short, and it's very precious, and we need to make the most of it. And it seems in the world around us, Satan has more ways than ever of getting us to squander it. In Isaiah 40 in verse 3 is a prophecy about a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. This is about the message of Jesus Christ's second coming. Someone crying out that message right in the end, right before he gets here. But that voice is crying out in the midst of a wilderness. Herbert W. Armstrong often referred to this verse about this voice crying out in today's spiritual wilderness of religious confusion. That's the way he put it in Mystery of the Ages. The world today really is a wilderness. It's very noisy. There's a lot of confusion, religious confusion, political, technological, so many other types of of noise and chaos so many things competing for people's attention satan is the prince of the power of the air and he is making it impossible for many people to receive the truth of god this article talks about the fact that this is the time that god's work has so much power so so many impressive means to spread god's truth that the church has never had in human history but it says it's right now that satan has increased the pace of society and has jammed the frequency with materialistic distractions he has littered the world with every conceivable gadget activity pleasure and late night entertainment to keep mankind quote active and busy 
from the time he wakes up in the morning to the time he falls into bed exhausted late at night. There is simply no time to stop and ponder the purpose of human existence and where all this is leading. Now, that was written quite a while ago, but it's very true. And it's gotten worse since, since that was written. If you think about it, that is a disastrous state of affairs. Think about how many problems we're having in our world today because everybody is so distracted and caught up in trivialities and nobody is really pondering the big questions, the purpose of human existence and where all this is leading. We're all subject to those tendencies and influences if we're not resisting them and tuning those out and clearing our minds and then turning our attention to more important matters. Our editor-in-chief wrote a book about the biblical book of Isaiah, Isaiah's End Time Vision. Chapter 6 of this booklet is the most important question in education and educators don't know what it is. That's the title of the chapter. And that chapter is built around Isaiah 28 and verse nine, which says, whom shall God teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. Whom shall God teach? That, that is the most important question in education as Mr. Fleury says it. God is an educator, he wants to teach but who can he teach? Mr. Fleury writes, God is the only great teacher. Each one of us must learn what it means to be taught by God. That is our individual responsibility. It is also the most thrilling and exhilarating experience humans ever have. So whom will God teach? God answers those weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. And Mr. Fleury explains what that means in that Isaiah booklet. We'd be happy to send you a free copy. But essentially, he's saying we have to grow up. There's only so much that God can teach us when we're still like nursing infants spiritually. God wants us to build a personal relationship with him, really looking to him to educate us. He wants us bringing him into our thinking. So we, we have to really seek actively seek that education from God and allow him to teach us. We have to be working hard in our daily prayer, coming to, to think like God. We have to be digging into our daily Bible study and allowing God to cleanse our minds and to teach us. We have to be thinking on the things of God and growing in our relationship with God the Father. In that booklet, Mr. Fleury wrote, Whom shall he teach knowledge? True education comes from the northern heavens where God dwells. It's where the very elect get their education. Now think about the alternative to being educated by God. What do you think of this world's education? A lot of people can see that our leaders are taking us way off track. They're making terrible economic and financial decisions. They're implementing policies that are encouraging crime, protecting criminals, protecting illegal immigrants. They've made a lot of mistakes in handling the coronavirus that, that have really destroyed a lot of lives. A lot of people are very dissatisfied with the direction that our leaders are taking us. Do you realize that all of these Elites, all of these people that are in high positions of power, the decision makers, they are all products of our educational system. They came out of these exalted schools. Higher education in America and in other countries is producing some very radical thinking people. And the more these people make their way into the halls of power, the worse they make things, the worse the world gets, the worse conditions grow. The truth is that this world's education is driving our whole world to the brink of catastrophe. Civil war, even world war, it's, it shows you there's something dangerously flawed about that education. They're not bringing God into our education. They're, they're not reasoning with God, as it says in Isaiah 1 and verse 18. 
and it really creates serious problems. It's a disaster. Now, our inability to pay attention and focus is a very important facet of this. It's in, in an increasingly common outgrowth of the way that our society functions. This book, Stolen Focus, says the truth is that you are living in a system that is pouring acid on your attention every day. Now, what makes this such a matter of concern? Well, if you can't pay attention, if you can't focus, you're going to have all kinds of problems. Did you know that if, if you're focusing on something and you get interrupted, on average, it will take you, studies have found, 23 minutes to get back to the same state of focus. So if you never get an uninterrupted hour of work, then you're never really getting to that state of deep focus. It scrambles your ability to think. It hinders your ability to accomplish things of real substance. Here's a quote from this book. We told ourselves we could have a massive expansion in the amount of information we're exposed to and the speed at which it hits us with no costs. This is a delusion. And he quotes one researcher saying, it becomes exhausting. More importantly, what we are sacrificing is depth in all sorts of dimensions. Depth takes time and depth takes reflection. If you have to keep up with everything and send emails all the time, there's no time to reach depth. Depth connected to your work in relationships also takes time. It takes energy. It takes long time spans. And it takes commitment. It takes attention. All of these things that require depth are suffering. It's pulling us more and more up onto the surface. That's, that's life in our modern world. It just keeps pulling us up to the surface. It keeps pulling us up out of the, the depth that really does make life meaningful. And if you think about this spiritually, if you can't focus, you can't really have a strong relationship with God. You know, your prayer, your Bible study, if you're flitting around, if you're not going deep into those things, if you're not really focusing on those things, how can God really teach you? You can't get excited about the deep things of God if you can't focus on those things. And think about this. The Bible says the first and great commandment is love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your might. How do you love God with all of your heart if, if you can't even focus on something? The devil is always trying to steal pieces of our heart to distract us, to divert us, to chop up our attention. And he has created a society that is is doing that continually all the time to us in second corinthians 2 verse 11 the apostle paul warns that we must not be ignorant of satan's devices or else he's going to get an advantage over us in any battle ignorance of the enemy is dangerous the more you know about the enemy, then the better equipped you are to resist him and to fight him. If you're walking through a minefield, it's better to see those mines than if they're buried and you don't know whether you're, you're stepping on a, a device that's going to detonate right under your feet. If Satan is laying a trap, it's good to recognize it. You want to see it before it springs on you. And that's what that verse in... 2 Corinthians is talking about. Paul says we're a lot more vulnerable to the devil if we're ignorant of his devices. Now that word devices is very interesting. If you look at other translations, it, it translates that as Satan's designs or his schemes. But the King James Version uses the word devices and that, that's also the word that we use for our smartphones and our tablets and our laptops, all of this technology that we have grown so reliant upon, all of these pieces of technology, they can easily become Satan's devices. 
you know, if you think about what Satan can use those for, you don't have to think really hard about what Satan is doing and the way that he's structured society. Again, that that uh, quote from that article, it says he has arrayed the entire society against us to distract us and snare us as we seek to draw near to God and serve him. Satan is the world's greatest time waster, and he has designed this society and this world to waste your time and your life. That book, Stolen Focus, says that at Google, this is probably the biggest of the big tech companies or certainly right near the top. Success is measured by what they call engagement. And that means literally the minutes and the hours of eyeballs on the product. That's how they measure success. So engineers are always looking for new ways to suck eyeballs onto their program and to keep them there. They're constantly proposing more interruptions to people's lives. As Hari writes in this book, your distraction is their fuel. This is how they make money. This is their whole business model is built around interrupting people's lives, grabbing their attention and holding them there. Now, these are some really brilliant people who are doing these things, and a lot of people have gone into the technology industry thinking that they were going to make the world a better place. And as Hari writes, they're now caught in this arms race to manipulate human nature. Google shapes more than 11 billion interruptions to people's lives every day. This book says the average child between ages 13 and 17 in the United States sends one text message every six minutes he's awake. That's a whole lot of texting uh, by these teenagers. The average person who clicks on a photo is pulled away for 20 minutes before they get back to their task. This is just a few little snapshots of the wide-ranging effects that these technologies are having on us at all sectors of society. This book quotes Tony Fidel, who co-invented the iPhone, saying this, I wake up in cold sweats every so often thinking, what did we bring to the world? This man is worried that he helped create quote, a nuclear bomb that can blow up people's brains and reprogram them. There's a lot of addiction out there, more and more addiction to these devices and these programs and these apps. I was sitting on a on a plane recently and I was in the middle seat and I had one person on each side of me with a phone in their hand the entire time. The the woman to my left was playing Candy Crush on her phone for two hours straight. It was just remarkable. They're getting addicted to these things because that is the express intent of these devices. The, the engineer who created Candy Crush engineered it very precisely to try to keep people on that game for as long as possible. Now, those addictions, that's a form of slavery. And the one who is ultimately behind it is not an ingenious engineer. It really is the prince of the power of the air who's behind it. And he's using every weakness in human nature against us to waste our time and waste our life. These people have figured out ways to hack human nature and to use it against us. Now, you put that in the context of Isaiah 28 and verse 9, where God says, you know, he cannot teach someone who is still in the nursing infant stage. And that's exactly what these technologies are doing. That's exactly what the devil is is forcing on us, or he's encouraging us and drawing us in and sucking us in and trapping us in. COVID-19 only increased our focus problem. During the pandemic, there was a 
300% increase in people Googling how to get your brain to focus. In April 2020, this is like once the, the, everybody had to stay home from work and so on, the average person in the U.S. spent 13 hours a day looking at a screen. This book, Stolen Focus, quotes author Naomi Klein saying, We were on a gradual slide into a world in which every one of our relationships was mediated by platforms and screens. And because of COVID, that gradual process went into hyperspeed. So the pandemic supercharged all these factors that had been corroding our attention for decades already. And so everybody's look, you know, hooked into their machines, looking at their computer screens. And meanwhile, these big tech companies are able to track us for many more hours a day. And then they're strengthening the algorithms of what Hari calls surveillance capitalism. These these uh, programs that tend to shape and alter our thinking a whole lot more than they were before. You know, these tech companies have made a killing while so many of our businesses have been broken during this pandemic those companies are doing great because the pandemic played into their business model and made people all the more addicted to these devices thinking about all of this it reminded me of an article that the Trumpet.com managing editor Brad McDonald wrote over 10 years ago, this is actually nearly 12 years ago, the, the Trumpet magazine of October, November 2010. The title of this article is The Perils of Screen Addiction and How to Beat It. And we'll link to this article in the show notes for this uh, program. In this article, Mr. McDonald quotes a neuroscientist saying, my fear is that these technologies are infantilizing the brain into the state of small children who are attracted by buzzing noises and bright lights, who have a small attention span and who live for the moment. That's a, a pretty good description of what happens when you spend all of your time watching TikTok videos. If you think about it, God says that he will educate the person who's weaned from the milk. Satan isn't even giving us milk. He's keeping society drinking from a sippy cup of Mountain Dew. And just look at the problems this is creating in society. This attentional deficit is causing all kinds of crises because nobody is thinking properly. Just think about the fact that in a democracy... The people are making decisions. Uh, the population has to be able to identify real problems and then recognize solutions. They need to be able to hold leaders accountable for their failures and you know, make decisions accordingly. And if, if society can't do that, a democracy cannot function. And you look at what is happening in America and several other nations today, and you know that government leaders are taking advantage of the fact that we can't remember something for more than five minutes. You know, they're, they're willing to do things that are just horrifying, like an abominable evacuation from Afghanistan, to take one example. And they know that everybody's going to forget about that just in another couple of days. The news cycle will go on. They'll throw something else into the news cycle to get people focused on something else and our attention is diverted we're off to the next thing and no one's the wiser it's no problem at all they can weather those storms because of the distractibility of the people in the democracy that is a nation destroying crisis and on top of that the biggest problem is that the voice of god's messenger that's preparing the way for christ's return cannot be heard because of the noise and the confusion of this wilderness. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll look at some wisdom from the Bible about the importance of having keen focus in our lives. We'll be right back.
This is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. It's easy to underestimate the dangers of getting wrapped up in social media and addicted to technology. But when you start opening your eyes and and thinking about what's happening, you see many, many problems and you see how this is utterly reshaping society. There are ways that you could say that technology has certainly benefited us, but there are many, many ways where it has done tremendous damage, the way that we're using it. I'll just give you one example. This is an article from The Federalist, August 1st, 2022. The title is, Parents, if you don't get a grip on your kids' social media, trans activists will. This article says, LGBT activists have taken to the online world to recruit more followers, specifically seeking young people to join their cause and become their allies. They prey on the vulnerability of children in order to convince them of the validity and normalcy of their radical, sexually perverted lifestyles. Influencers are actively working to undermine parents' own authority over their children and to replace the loving influence of parents in children's lives and hearts with their own, quote, welcoming and accepting rainbow community. Social media companies allow influencers to peddle misinformation on the drugs and surgeries that are commonplace for transgender individuals. Influencers coach teens on how to lie to doctors and their parents in order to get these drugs or surgeries, which they promise will make them feel better. On TikTok and YouTube, Influencers talk about how great they feel now that they have, quote, transitioned. Here's just just one example of a serious problem resulting from the kind of access to individuals given to anyone on social media. Are you protecting your children from these influences? If you're not, you're going to have problems. Your family is going to suffer. But the bigger issue is, outside of on the individual level, this is just one example of the way that these technologies are being used and exploited to radically reshape society. It is really important that we disengage from that. Johan Hari argues persuasively that to make real change in our society would require seriously overhauling these tech companies. You're dealing with tremendously powerful economic and social forces and very deep tendencies in human nature that are are driving these massive companies to do what they're doing and, and giving them so much control over our lives. And I don't believe we're going to see major overhauling at Google, at Facebook, at Twitter, or any of these other companies until Jesus Christ returns. I mean, even if one of those companies made massive changes, some, someone else would rise up in its place. Jesus Christ is going to have to deal with the root causes in mankind's nature that are causing these societal crises. But we individually do need to take major steps in our lives and make choices to severely curb the power these companies have over our own thinking. And beyond that, we need to work in other ways to strengthen our focus, to lengthen our attention span, to improve the quality of our thinking. So let's get some guidance from the Bible on this subject. We'll start in Matthew 6 and verse 22 where Jesus Christ said, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. Now this is speaking metaphorically of the mind's eye. If your mind is single and focused on the right purpose, that's going to fill your whole life with light. You'll be able to see where you're going. Your life will have purpose and direction. We all can do more to hone our focus and to make it more singularly fixed 
Then in verse 22, just two verses down, Christ taught this extremely important principle. He said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Now, God commands us to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And if we allow ourselves to serve something else, we're not serving God. If our attention is divided, if our heart is divided, it's being divided away from God. That's just the reality. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul wrote, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. That raises the question, what do you mind? What do you think about? Is it the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit? This is talking about two ways of life that are completely at odds with one another. It can't be both. We can't mind the flesh and the spirit at the same time. Or like Christ said, you can't serve two masters. You're, if you start serving a second master, then that attention is taken away from being able to serve God, as serve that first master. Verse 6 of Romans 8, Paul says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, that's very blunt language. If we're carnally minded, that's the way of death. That's leading to death. If we're spiritually minded, if that's what we're setting our minds on, that's leading to life and peace. So what we think about, what we mind, really is a matter of life and death. That passage continues because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It, it hates God on some level, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. This goes back to the point that if, if your mind is all distracted and jacked up on the noise and diversions of this world, you're not going to be able to build a proper relationship with God. If you're used to eating junk food, then junk food is all you want. You crave sugar. You crave empty calories. And nutritious food just becomes unpalatable. We're not interested in that. We have a taste for the wrong things. And the only way to fix that is to get away from the junk. You have to re-educate your palate. You have to learn how to appreciate healthy food well the same is definitely true mentally and spiritually the internet and other forms of technology create cravings addictions to things that weaken us and that make it so we we can't really enjoy and have pleasure in things that are mentally and spiritually nutritious for us if we're not protecting ourselves then we're getting drawn in that direction away from godly thinking that's just that's just naturally what is going to happen unless we're really working in the other direction. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. Protect your heart. Be vigilant about what you allow in. Lang's commentary says of this verse, Above all that is to be guarded, keep your heart. You have to be like a watchman over your thoughts because everything in your life flows from that. So you really do have to be very careful. That passage in Proverbs 4 gives another very practical point about directing your thinking. Just two verses down, verse 25 says, Let your eyes look right on and let your eyelids look straight before you. Just keep your focus straightforward. Concentrate. Don't be distracted. There are a lot of distractions out there. We need to focus our thoughts. Concentrate our attention on something worthwhile rather than allowing our attention to be dissipated and dispersed. This is why our Wi-Fi world is so damaging. It's just so easy for something to pull us away before we've really thought something through. There's always another shiny object to draw the attention away. So then we get into the habit of fragmented thinking. 
and fragmented thinking is shallow thinking. That's, that's, it just keeps pulling you to the surface. Our editor-in-chief wrote a wonderful book called How to Be an Overcomer. And chapter six of this book is called The Science of Spiritual Warfare. And it talks about how important it is to concentrate in terms of overcoming problems. This book says, concentrate everything you have on that problem. Bring everything possible to bear on solving it. It quotes Napoleon saying, in military, public, or administrative affairs, there is a need for deep thought as well as deep analysis and also for an ability to concentrate on subjects for a long time without fatigue. Concentrating on something for a long time without fatigue, that's something God wants us to be able to do. If he's going to educate us, he wants us to be able to concentrate. It was something Jesus Christ was able to do perfectly. Mr. Flurry writes this in that Overcomer booklet. Some of us have health problems that prevent intense concentration, but if you are fatigued, ask yourself why. Is it because you're losing battles? Is it because you're not fighting with a system? What is the reason? Do you have trouble staying alert? Can you concentrate on subjects for a long time without fatigue? If you get fatigued too easily, you need to attack that problem. You have to get yourself in physical and mental shape to do that, and spiritual shape most of all. Verse 26 of Proverbs 4 says, Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Think about what you're doing. Don't just aimlessly wander around. You have to do regular self-examination. Ponder the path of your feet. Think, think, where is this path leading me? If I keep doing what I'm doing, where am I going to end up? Is this taking me where I want to go? Everything you do, every choice you make is leading in a direction. So meditate about that. Project out. What, what's the end result of this? There are a lot of scriptures that say, consider the latter end of what you're doing. Think about the end results of the path you're taking. So, for example, if you keep feeding your mind with junk, how will that affect your relationship with God? That's a great question to ask yourself. If you make this choice or that choice, what are the ramifications? What are the effects of that? These are extremely helpful, practical points from Scripture on how to reclaim your focus, how to protect your mind, how to deepen your thinking, how to increase God's ability to educate you and build a relationship with you. We also have an article that we'll make available to you. It's at the trumpet.com sister website, pcg.church. It was printed in our Christian Living magazine, Royal Vision. This is another magazine we make freely available to those who request it. The article is called Meditation, the Art of Godly Thinking. And this has quite a lot more from the Bible on this subject, including more explanations on, on some of the verses that we've already looked at. We'll link to this article in the show notes. We'll also put a link for how you can get a subscription to this bi-monthly magazine, Royal Vision. Well, when we come back, we'll talk about seven strategies for how to improve your focus. Stick around. This is Trumpet Hour with Joel Hilliker. In his book, Stolen Focus, Johann Hari writes, Your ability to develop deep focus is, I have come to believe, like a plant. To grow and flourish to its full potential, your focus needs certain things to be present. And he lists several of them, proper play and exercise for children, uninterrupted meaningful work for adults, reading books, exercise, proper sleep, nutritious food that develops a healthy brain. And he says, there are certain things you need to protect your attention from because they will sicken or stunt it. Too much speed, too much switching, too many stimuli, intrusive technology designed to hack and hook you, stress, exhaustion, processed food pumped with dyes that amp you up, polluted air, 
For a long time, we took our attention for granted, as if it was a cactus that would grow in even the most desiccated climate. Now we know it's more like an orchid, a plant that requires great care or it will wither. How well are you caring for your ability to focus? How well are you taking care of your attention and your thinking? Let's talk about some practical steps for how to focus better. Number one, prioritize your daily prayers. God wants us spending quality time communicating with him each day. This is really the most important thinking you can do in your daily routine. And it gives you excellent practice at blocking everything else out and focusing your attention completely on something substantive, something important. If you don't have a good habit of daily prayer, but you would like to develop one, I highly recommend you get a free copy of our book, How to Pray. It explains why prayer is important. It gives many examples of effective prayer. It talks about practical keys for effective prayer. It gives an outline for what to pray about. There's a lot of great instruction in this book. If you want to improve as a thinker, if you want to deepen your focus, there is no single better way of doing that than improving the quality of your prayer life. Point two is improve the depth of your Bible study. Studying God's word is another daily need and a daily opportunity to devote your full attention to something that's truly worth thinking about. The, the Bible is the mind of God in print. It teaches the deep things of God. It's the most important way God educates you every day. Whom shall God teach knowledge? Well, you have to dig into your study of his word to gain that life-saving education. Sound, deep Bible study comes with a lot of benefits, teaching you the truths by which you can direct your life. But it's also another exceptional way of improving the quality of your thought and deepening your focus. Point three is evaluate and prune your use of the Internet. I'd really encourage you to read this article from the November-December 2010 issue of the Philadelphia Trumpet, The Perils of Screen Addiction and How to Beat It by Brad McDonald. We'll link to it in the show notes for this program. But he talks about how important it is to do an honest assessment of your technology use. This article says, when was the last time you took stock of your connection to the screens in your life? When was the last time you evaluated your capacity for deep thinking? To beat screen addiction and reclaim your mind, it is important to, as the prophet Haggai put it, consider your ways, quoting Haggai 1 and verse 7. Count the number of screens in your life. Calculate how much time you spend with each. Then consider how that time is spent. What percentage is for important engaging activities, perhaps reading serious news or researching for a term paper, versus being wasted on mindless or thought-destroying surfing? How many texts do you send and receive per day? How many of those texts make a valuable contribution to your life? How much television do you watch? How many times do you check your email? How many times do you need to check your email? Do you visit a, a website 10 times a day when once or twice is enough? Now consider how much time you spend in activities that deepen the mind, that lend themselves to focused, undistracted thought. How much time do you spend reading each week? How much time in meditation? How much in conversing with your family? These are excellent questions to ask yourself. You have to get an honest picture of what is happening. Now, the reality is, because of these addictive and invasive technologies, our default is always going to be for them to take over more of our thinking, more of our time than we want them to. That's why it's important not just to evaluate your use of the Internet, but to prune it. You have to take active measures to limit its influence in your life. This Trumpet article also has several very good practical suggestions for, for making progress in this area. Growing comfortable with the solitude required for quality thinking, implementing 
breaks like an internet Sabbath to get control of screen addiction. It quotes William Powers' book, Hamlet's Blackberry, which says, to lead happy, productive lives in a connected world, we need to master the art of disconnecting. Life in Satan's world is always filling up with nonsense, and we have to regularly, actively prune those things out to keep proper balance and simplicity in our lives. Point four is aim for long stretches of focused, uninterrupted work. The technology that we regularly use, it enables us to accomplish a lot, but it also distracts us a lot. The average American worker is distracted once every three minutes, and they spend 40% of their work time wrongly believing they are multitasking. Every time we switch tasks, it takes a bit of time and it wastes brain processing time. So it's been shown in studies that technological distraction, getting emails and, and calls, it, it's the equivalent of causing a worker's IQ to drop by an average of 10 points, just having those distractions around. And it also makes us more error prone. It drains our creativity. It impairs our memory. For us to do high-quality work takes long stretches of focused time, not multitasking, but monotasking, doing one thing, doing it with all of our attention. That kind of work state is called flow. Stolen Focus talks about this. It says if human beings drill down in the right way, we can hit a gusher of focus inside ourselves, a long surge of attention that will flow forth and carry us through difficult tasks in a way that feels painless and, in fact, pleasurable. Now, the sad thing is that Flow states are very fragile. They're easily disrupted. You have to be determined to shut out all those interruptions. But aim for those long stretches of focused, uninterrupted work. It's a powerful way to improve your thinking, improve your concentration. Point five is read quality books. This is an excellent antidote to the way that we consume information on the Internet where so much comes in... 280 character blurbs where your tendency is to scan and skim where you can easily flit from one thing to another there are always links and things to draw us away books are immersive so they they do help you to focus on what you're studying and and to go deep into that subject this is from stolen focus reading books trains us to read in a particular way in a linear fashion focused on one thing for a sustained period reading from screens trains us to read in a different way in a manic skip and jump from one thing to another we're more likely to scan and skim when we read on screens. studies have found we run our eyes rapidly over the information to extract what we need but after a while if we do this long enough the scanning and skimming bleeds over it also starts to color or in influence how we read on paper. Reading stops being a form of pleasurable immersion in another world and becomes more like dashing around a busy supermarket to grab what you need and then get out again. Reading high quality books can help you reclaim your ability to focus. And even more than that, it's, it's good not to just read and read and read and read, but to think about what you read. Slow down. Think about it. Ponder it. Analyze it. Point six is get good sleep. Technology is turning us into insomniacs. About 40% of Americans are chronically sleep deprived, getting less than seven hours of sleep a night. Our amount of sleep as a society has dropped by 20% in the last 100 years. Stolen Focus says, on average, a typical college student has the same sleep quality as an active duty soldier or a parent of a newborn baby. And what happens if you are staying awake so much? Well, one of the first problems that you're going to have is you're not going to be able to pay attention. When you're sleep deprived, your ability to focus falls off a cliff. That book talks about the fact that the brain takes 10 times longer to reply to uh, the questions and, and the stimuli around you. 
A lot of people try to fix the problem by drinking caffeine. That doesn't actually work. What caffeine does is it blocks the receptor in your body that picks up on your level of adenosine, which signals to you when you're sleepy. So you don't realize that you're sleepy because your body is blocking that. Hari says it's like putting a post-it note over your fuel gauge indicator in your car. You're not actually giving yourself more energy. You're just not realizing how empty you are. When the caffeine wears off, you're doubly exhausted. Get enough sleep and your ability to focus is going to be loads better. We need seven to nine hours of sleep at night. Anything less than that and we're setting ourselves up for problems. And point seven is Romans 12 and verse two, which says, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds need regular renewal. The world pulls us down into its ways. It gets us to conform to its ways. We need that renewal to be ready for each day, to, to have the energy we need, to do the work that we need to do, to give our all to our responsibilities, to our family, and most of all, to give our hearts to God, to love Him with all our heart. We need to be rested and refreshed. We need to be in good health with clear minds and focused attention. God wants to educate us. And whom shall He teach? Well, we need to grow up and really focus on building our relationship with him. Remember these words from Gerald Fleury. God is the only great teacher. Each one of us must learn what it means to be taught by God. That is our individual responsibility. It is also the most thrilling and exhilarating experience humans ever have. I'm Joel Hilliker, and that will do it for today's Trumpet Hour. You can send me any thoughts on today's program to letters at thetrumpet.com. Thanks to Nick Irwin and Dwight Falk for engineering and production. I'll leave you with this thought from Harry Emerson Fosdick. No steam or gas ever drives anything until it is confined. No Niagara is ever turned into light and power until it is tunneled. No life ever grows until it is focused, dedicated, disciplined. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world. Listening to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world.